All right, why don't you guys turn in your Bibles to John 11. We're going to go through a lot of scripture, surprise, surprise, um, and talk about, I'm not sure that it's something that we talk um, often about, but it's certainly something that stands out in this passage to me for us to to be able to hopefully learn and grow from in regard to the resurrection and the life. So we just sang that song in the light of his glory and grace, right? There is freedom, right, all over the place. So let's talk about God's glory. Let's talk about what that actually means, right? So we say it a lot. It's in scripture everywhere. I mean, you can find references to glory all over the scripture. So what does the word glory actually mean? Um, in its original form, right? In the Hebrew, the word for glory meant heavy, right? It meant ultimately something that had worth and value, right? But the literal meaning of it was the word heavy. In the Greek, right, the word for glory means basically to give a worthwhile or a good opinion of something, right? So God's glory, right, is designed to make God out to be good, right, to have a valued opinion of who he is. Everything about God's glory is designed to make God look good. You got that? Right? Sort of like ourselves, right? There, I mean, we wouldn't use the word glory, but there's a lot of people whose sole intent is to make you, right, have a high opinion of them. You know those people, right? We use words like a narcissist, right? That's become a, you know, a 2023 buzzword for every person in the world, right? Everybody that has a selfish, a little bit of a selfish bent, we just say, oh, they're a narcissist. I hate to tell you this, but we're all narcissistic at our core level, Right? But a true narcissist, right, a true narcissist, somebody who is consumed with narcissism, listen, these people are few and far between, but these people and their whole desire is for you, right, to make much of them. Everything is about them. And listen, we all know people, we all know people who want everything to be about them. We know those people, right? We call them teenagers, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, right? But every person, I think, goes goes through that idea. Listen, we all have that tendency, right, in situations where we want things to be about me. You, would you agree with that? We all have that in us, right? But there is, and, and listen, and the point of that is, right, the goal of that is, Hopefully, in, lo- in, in most people, the goal is for, you, for others then to have a high view of you. So you do things, right? You do things in your, quote, own glory, right? In hopes that what you're doing for your own glory is creating a good opinion of you toward other people, right? That's what the Pharisees did, 
right? The Pharisees focused on living a life that externally tried to communicate to everybody around them. Listen, these are amazing, amazing godly people. They focused entirely on making sure that what they did reflected well on them. They sought their own glory. I want, I want to start off by communicating to you through God's word what God thinks about his own glory. Right? So I'm going to read a few verses. Let's skip John there, David, and I'll come back to that. And let's jump into Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. That very first scripture right after the text. I just want to read a few verses to you because I want you to hear what scripture says, right, about what God thinks about his own glory. Meaning, what does God think about the things that speak well of him? Or give a high opinion of him. Isaiah 48 says, for my own namesake, right? For my own namesake, I delay my wrath. The, the prophet says, for the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to cut it off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? Listen to what he says. I will not yield my what? Glory. I will not yield my high opinion. I will not yield those things that create a high opinion of me to anyone else. You see the the phrase, for my namesake, right? For my namesake, for my own, right? That That is a sentence that reflects what glory does, right? How about this one? Psalm 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, right? He says, everyone who is called, everybody say everyone. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my whom I formed and made. So when somebody asks you, what, what is God's primary purpose for you, right? For all of us who were formed and made, we were made for his what? Meaning our creation was designed to give a good opinion of God to those around us. Right? Scripture says... Right? That the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare, right, that God, right, has a high opinion. And here's what he says. Everybody that God formed and everybody that God made, and that includes all of us online and here, we were made for God's what? We were made for his glory. Not our own. We were made for God's glory. How about Ephesians chapter 4, or Ephesians 1 says this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Listen, when you live in a world, listen, if you live in a world where you think that you're not important, that you don't matter, listen, you need to, this is why you need to know scripture. So these truths, right, can be something that you experience in your life. For he chose us in Jesus, read this with me, everybody, online in here, before the creation. Do you realize how special you are to God? 
You have any idea what you mean to him? That before the world was created, he chose who? Yeah, he chose us. Now everybody say he chose me. He chose you. He chose you. He says, before the foundation of the world, I chose you. To do what? To be holy, right? To be set apart, to be blameless in his sight. In love, it says, he predestined us to be a to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Listen, we were chosen in Jesus to reflect God's glory. Meaning we were chosen in Jesus to do one thing, the same thing that Isaiah says, to be a beacon that reflects a high opinion of God. That's what God's desire is. He has no interest in his glory going to anybody else. We read that in Isaiah 48, right? And God designed us to give that glory to him. How about Ephesians 1.12? It says this, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ. So if you're in here, if you're online and your hope is in Jesus, say amen. He says, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his. Listen, you, you, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You have no idea what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Here's where you can start. God, put me in a place and use me for the praise of your glory. Right? Put me in a place where my family, my friends, my coworkers will do what? They will praise that high opinion of you. Because that's what we were chosen to do. Verse 13 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit who is our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of whose glory? Listen, we are the possession of God and our purpose is to glorify Him. That means we live to create a high opinion of God. Does that make sense to you, church? Now, do you see that as a significant, a significant test or a significant task? Yes or no? Yeah. For sure. 100%. Listen, some of you are, how, how many of you are parents and grandparents? Right? How many of you love, like love, love, love your children and grandchildren? And how many of you are the kind of people that love telling everybody about your children and grandchildren? Yeah. Okay. We call those people annoying. Okay. I'm kidding, right? But we all have that in us, right? Even even those of us that have a balance of, and most parents do, a balance of our kids being, you know, something amazing and something completely broken and dumb, right? We still we still want to talk our children and grandchildren up to other people. Why? Because we want people to have a a good opinion of them. We want people to have a high opinion of them. That is what we want. Is we want To exist for their what? For their glory. Here's what God's word says. You and I who were made and formed were made for God's glory. There's no question about your purpose in life. 
right? When you read Jeremiah 29 and we buy it at the, at the Christian bookstore and we, we quote it, I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, the plans to not harm you. Listen, quote a better verse because that verse was written to Israel. Isaiah 48 says, everything that was made and formed was made for God's what? His glory. We were made to reflect a high opinion of God. Is it any wonder that those of us who are his possession, and that possession is to the praise of his glory, is it any wonder why our world and why our nation has no interest in God? Have we reflected a good opinion of God in your mind? No. And at the core of everything to do with evangelism, it begins and ends with that. Are you and I a reflection of God's glory? Do we, do, listen, do we live a life that reflects a high opinion of God? Listen, most of us struggle mightily with that. Because generally the person we're thinking about in our walk of faith is who? Myself. We're wondering about ourselves and about what God's going to do for us and where God's at in my life and why is God doing this to me and when is thing, when is God going to allow things to change? When is he going to take this struggle away? When is he going to make my marriage better? When is he going to do all of these things? And generally the focus of our walk of faith is ourselves. when God says the focus of our faith should be to the praise of his what? To the praise of his high opinion of himself. That's what we should reflect. Listen to Isaiah 42, 8. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. You think God's protective of his own glory? Yes or no? 100%. 100%. Listen, God has no room for idolatry because idolatry is simply, simply us making a high opinion of something that we believe is more important than God. God has no interest in that. That's why scripture says that greed is idolatry. Because greed simply says, I want this, I want that more than I want you, God. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And the Bible says, I will not give my glory to another or my praise, right? See in the Hebrew the word hala, right? Which means I will glorify or reflect that idol. How many Christians do you think that applies to, right? How about this verse? How about the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? Listen, you want a hard task? Listen to this. So whether you eat or drink or what? Come on, everybody say that with me again. So what does that cover? Everything. Do it all for the what? I'll tell you what, when I was, when I was prepping for this and God brought that text to me that I have read 527 times in my life. I don't know. It hit me today in a way that it's never hit me before. I, I thought, I thought about all the decisions I make in my life on a daily basis. And I asked myself, how many of them did I do for the glory of God? Cause it says, whether you eat, drink or whatever you do, do it all for the what? Meaning, do it all for a high opinion of who? Listen, if you're wondering what your purpose in life is, you ain't got to look anymore. Now, some of you aren't going to like it. Because it's going to mean a radical change of your life. 
Because for most of us, our life exists for the glory of myself. What do I want? What will make me look good to other people? What will make other people have a high opinion of me? The Bible says in whatever you do, do it all so that there is a high opinion of who? That's a huge task, is it not? It's monumental. How about this scripture in First, Second Peter 1? His divine power, right? God's power has given us what? Come on now. Listen, the task of doing everything for God's glory is a huge task. I mean, sit down and think about every decision that you make, whatever you do. And ask yourself, how many of those give God a good opinion? Or make him have a high opinion to other people? And then ask yourself, how am I supposed to do that? Here's why. Here's how we can do it. Peter says, God's divine power has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Right? Through these, right, his divine power, through these he has given us, and his truth, right, through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may what? You may participate in the what? Divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Here's the thing. If we're to do everything to make up, listen, just... Think about it with me for a second. Think about some of the decisions you've made in your life over the last year. And how many of those decisions actually gave other people a high opinion of God? Think about the words that you've chosen in conversations with people. Right? Think about the money that you've spent versus the money that you've given to the cause of Christ. Think about the morality choices that we're faced with. Lying, stealing, cheating. Think about the morality in regard to sexual behavior, right? To alcoholism. Think about all the things that we struggle with. And remember the line, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And ask yourself, how are you doing? How are you doing with that? Do you think, do you think your life reflects, and I can tell you this, it was a really humble, you know, there's, the one thing about preaching is God always works on me before I get to work on you, right? Which is never really a pleasant process. Very rarely does God give me a sermon to preach that I've got down pat and I can't wait to hammer you with it. Usually God's primary purpose in giving me the text is to teach me first. And I can tell you that this week, studying this concept has probably broken me in a way that nothing has broken me like that in a while. Because when I think about the choices that I make, in light of do they make a high opinion of God, I was very, I was very humbled. First of all, by the challenge. Second of all, by the amount of failure. And thirdly, by the enormous amount of grace that God gives me every day to try again. But here's one thing that God reminded me of, right? Bring that verse back up there real quick, David. You and I, because of our God's power.
power in us and because of God's truth to us, we get to participate in the divine nature. The only way you and I could do all things to the glory of God is we've got to lean into that divine nature of God. We've got to lean into it. We've got to lean into the power because, listen, you and I may have been built for God's glory, but Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the what? The glory of God. We have fallen short of making God seem great to people. We've all failed in that regard, right? So how do we overcome that? God's power in you. And God's word for you allows me and you to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Listen, we have a power at our disposal that most of us are unaware of. We're so focused on if the power that God gives us through the Holy Spirit can allow us to speak in tongues, pray in the spirit, if we can heal the sick, if we can walk on water. Listen, you know what the power of God in you was designed to do to help you escape the corruption that is in the world through all of its evil desires. As opposed to, once again, seeking our own glory. God, your Holy Spirit's in me. You said that I could, I could, I could handle poisonous snakes. You said I could walk on water. Listen, let's get a grip, okay? Let's get a grip about what the power of God is designed to do. It's designed to help us in participating in his nature. Do what? Do all things for his what? For his glory. Why? Because God has no interest in giving his glory to anybody else. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. So just so you're clear how this works, right? We were made to give God glory. Amen, church? And in Jesus, in Jesus, we were chosen, right, by God to be the praise of his glory. Amen, church? That's what we're supposed to do. And according to Paul, we should do all things to the glory of God. Amen, church? That's a lot. That's a lot. How do we do it? Well, Second Peter tells us, right? We can do it because we are partakers of God's divine nature. We have got a power that God himself has in us to do it. And just so we're clear about how God works, listen to this. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's what? Some level, some level church online, everybody in here who knows Jesus say amen. At some level, all of us are reflecting the glory of God. At some level, every person in here, every person online, every person that says Jesus is their Lord and Savior, every one of them is giving an opinion of God to other people. Are we clear on that? All of us are, right? He says this, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being what? We are being what? Transformed into his likeness with ever increasing what? Glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let's be clear what God's doing. God is in the business of transforming you and I, right, into glory. His glory. You want to know why being a Christian is painful? Because right now, the opinion that you're creating, that high opinion, low opinion that you're creating of God, God wants it to be better. And God's not content with you staying where you're at. 
God's goal is to change you from one level of glory to another. And that level is not decreasing. That level is what? Increasing. Meaning... That if right now, instead of doing all things for the glory of God, you're doing 10% for the glory of God, God's going to say, you know what? I want 15 now. And then he's going to say, I want 30. And you know what he's going to be doing? He's going to be working in you to transform you into a reflection of his glory more and more all the time. Now, do you think that's going to be a painful process? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And that's what John 11 teaches us. John 11 teaches us how complicated this is. So, David, go back to John 11. I'm going to ask you all to stand real quick here. And we're going to read these verses from John chapter 11. I didn't, we're not reading all of them, but I picked out a few of them for the narrative. So a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. If you're familiar with the Bible and you've been in church, you know Mary and Martha, right? Martha was the busy person and Mary is the one set at Jesus' feet. Everybody remember them, right? This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. This person was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wipes his feet with her hair, right? So Mary, right, wipes Jesus' feet or washes his feet. Right at a table where he's reclining with her tears and with her hair. Right, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. If you go back to John ten, he has fled Judea because they've tried to kill him after his speech about being the good shepherd and the door, and so he's out in the countryside. Sisters send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So you know the relationship that Jesus has with Nazareth. He loves him. Right. When he heard this, Jesus says. This sickness will not end in what? And yet Lazarus what? Interesting statement, right? When he heard this, Jesus said that no. He said instead of, it is for God's what? It's for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus sick, what did he do? He stayed where he was for Now, does that make sense to you? If he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus was sick and yet he sort of said, I'll go a couple days. Does that make you think, I mean, if somebody tells you, tells your friend, your friend, hey, that person's really, really sick and they might die. And that person says, you know what? I'll check on them in a couple days. Does that sound like a good friend? It's a weird friend for sure, right? Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there, right? Pick up the narrative. So he told these disciples, he tried to explain to them that he was, they were asleep. They're dense. They thought he actually met sleep. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may what? So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Pick up the narrative. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. So even if Jesus hadn't tarried for two days, Lazarus still would have been dead by the time he got there. Instead of it being four days, he'd have been dead two days, right? Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. 
And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she goes out to meet him and Mary stays in the house. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, listen to what she says to Jesus. If you had been what? Here, my brother would not have died. Right? But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother is going to rise again. She says, I know. I go to church. I know that he's going to rise in the resurrection on the last day. I know the church answer. Jesus said to her, no, no, no. I am the what? I'm the resurrection and the Zoe. Not suke, not bios. I am Zoe. I am more than physical breath, more than the manifestation of who I am in my being. I am life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And check this out. And whoever lives now and believes in me will what? Never die. And here's his question to Martha. Do you what? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Listen to her answer. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe on the resurrection and life? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who was coming to the world. Did she answer his question? No. She talked about something completely different. She's gaslighting him. I hate that phrase, right? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. So now they've gone to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. How many days has Lazarus been dead? Take away the stone, he says. But Lord, Martha says, the sister of the dead man, by this time, four days, there's a bad odor. In the King James Version, it says, there is a stinketh, right? For he has been there for four days. Jesus said, listen to what Jesus said. Did I not tell you that if you what? Believed, you would see the what? Those two things are really, really important. He says, if you'd have believed, did I not say if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I do that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people who are standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You can have a seat. You and I were designed for God's what? Glory. You were chosen in Jesus as his possession to be used to the praise of his what? Paul says we should do what things to his glory. Come on, everybody say all things. We are designed to do all things to God's glory. We're given divine power and we're given God's truth to participate in the divine nature to do it. And God's in the business of transforming us from the level of glory we are at to the next level of glory we should be at. But here's the challenge, right? The challenge is that that sounds Good, but there is a complication with the glory of God, and we see it in this text. The complication of God's glory is this, that it will come at your expense. Listen, right, the story. Mary and Martha, Jesus loved them, yes or no? 
100%. Their brother Lazarus is sick unto death. Because we know that Lazarus does what? He dies. I don't know if you've ever sat at a bedside of someone you love dying. I'm not talking about being at the bedside of somebody that passed away immediately from a heart attack, right? Or an aneurysm, right? Or somebody that died in a car wreck that you, that you know and love and you weren't able to be there. I'm talking about sitting at a bedside of somebody who's sick unto death. I was a nursing home administrator and chaplain for 10 years. I spent more hours than I can tell you sitting at the sides of people's beds who were sick unto death. And as a person who was there to be kind and compassionate and supportive, it was overwhelming. My mom passed when I wasn't there. My dad passed when I wasn't there. And my son passed in my arms. And when you're near sick unto death, it is a weight that you, only you know from being in that position. And those of you that have done it know exactly what I'm talking about. Mary and Martha, two people that Jesus loved, sat at a bedside. There was no hospice care. There was no ICU. There was no ambulance to pick Lazarus up. Mary and Martha were his caretakers. And they sat by his bed and cared for their brother while he died. Hard. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm glad we weren't there to heal them because this was done for God's what? You see, here's the thing about God's glory. It's going to come at your expense and it's never going to ask for your permission. Ever. It's not going to ask your permission. Mary and Martha went through emotional hell on earth, taking care of their brother as he died in their home. And what did Jesus say? Man, I'm really glad I wasn't there. I'm really glad I wasn't there. Because now this can be done for God's glory. At whose expense was God's glory going to show up? Mary and Martha's. What about your life? See, here's the thing about your life and my life. God's glory will come at your expense. And it will not ask your permission. Let me read a couple passages to you. Skip that John 11 passage and go to Psalm 106, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 106, 7 and 8. When our fathers were in Egypt, right? The psalmist writes, they gave no thought to your miracles. They didn't remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet you... Right? Yet you, God, yet you saved them for your what? For your glory to make his mighty power known. Listen, and what did God do when he saved the nation of Israel when they got to the Red Sea and refused to go over when 10 spies said, oh, we can't do it. We got to go back to Egypt. When God rescued them at the Red Sea, what did he make them do afterwards? They walked in the wilderness for what? 40 years. Why? For his name's sake. God's glory will come at your expense. It will come at your expense. Listen, the reason why we don't always want to be at a level reflecting God's glory. Listen, when we're in church and the air conditioning is running and the praise team is killing it and the preacher's not taking an hour and a half, right? 
When all those things are working together, it is awesome to reflect God's glory. Can I get an amen? Listen, when you're walking in the halls of this building that was $11.5 million to build, and they are frying eggs and bacon in the back, it is easy to reflect God's glory. Listen, when things go well for you, it is easy to reflect God's glory. But how is it when God shows up and wants his glory from you, but it's going to be at your expense and he's not asking your permission? Because at one point in time, Jesus says to Jesus, the son of God says to God, glorify me now. And what does God say back? Uh, excuse me, but I've been glorifying myself with you. I don't need your permission, Jesus. No, it's Jesus. God doesn't need your permission or my permission to ask for his glory to be reflected in our life at our own expense. Exodus 14, 4 says this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Who's going to harden Pharaoh's heart? God's going to harden his heart, but I will gain what? I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Listen, God's glory came at whose expense? Pharaoh's. Because God did what to his heart? Hardened it. So what is God doing in your life? To receive glory at your expense. What sickness is in your life? What family member is suffering? What struggle has God brought into your life that is designed to bring him glory? And he didn't ask. He didn't come in and say, hey, is it okay if I give you cancer so I can receive glory? He didn't come in and say, hey, can I take your job so I can receive glory? He didn't come in and say, hey, can I take one of your children and really use them for your or for my glory. And I'm going to do it at your expense. And I'm not going to ask your permission. Because that's how God operates. Listen to, skip that Exodus passage. Go to Psalm 104.31. Here's what Psalm 104 says. May the glory of the Lord endure for what? Ever. And may the Lord rejoice in whose works? His works. Right? He who looks at the earth and the earth trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Listen, God doesn't need, he doesn't even need the earth's permission to get glory. Because God's glory will come at our expense. I want to read a passage in Revelation 4.11 says this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive what? To receive glory and honor and power. For you created what? All things and by your what will they were created and have their being. Guess who's in charge of us? Everybody say it. God is. Which means God will use us for his glory. And oftentimes it will come at your expense and mine. And he'll never ask permission. And listen, we could go through example after example after example of this happening in scriptures. Let me read First Peter 4. First Peter 4 says, but rejoice that you participate in the what? Sufferings of Christ. Listen, it seems sort of silly to rejoice in the sufferings, sufferings of Christ, right? If you suffer for the name of Jesus, not many of us are going to rejoice. I've been in ministry for almost 42 years. 40 years. I, I don't know a lot of Christian people that I could ever say rejoiced in sufferings. 
in following Jesus. Generally, we complain about it. Generally, we're frustrated with it. Generally, we're looking for it to be relieved. He says, right, bring that verse back up, David. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We're now receiving the suffering of following Jesus. He goes on to say this, so that you may be overjoyed when his what? You realize, you realize, oh shush, right? Do you realize that in your suffering, God receives glory? And here's the thing about suffering. It almost always comes at your expense. And it rarely asks for permission. You see, the complication with God's glory is that it will come at your expense. And the problem is, one of the problems in our churches today isn't that people don't want Jesus. It's they don't want to want, they don't want him if that's what it's going to cost. And we've raised a generation, listen, we were raised and we're raising a generation of people to believe that everything is about who? It's about them. You go out and find a church for you, right? You go out and find what's good for you. You make this about you. Even in church, let's make it about you. No, 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 no. This is about God's what? And we were made for God's what? And in Jesus Christ, we were chosen to God's what? And we are to do all things to God's what? This is not about you. This is not about me. Right? This is not about creating a faith where you get to examine everything and how it benefits you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is about the glory of God. And here's the thing about the glory of God. It is complicated because it will come at your expense. This is 2 Corinthians 4. Here's what Paul says this. He said, the God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They can't see it. They can't see how the gospel reflects a great opinion of God. Who is the image of God, right? For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine where? In our hearts, right? He says this. He did that to give us the light of the knowledge of the what? Of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen, that thing we have in us, that thing we have in us is designed to bring glory to God. And is designed to be a light to people around us. He says this, but we have that thing in a what? A jar of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So look what God does to this knowledge that's in this jar, right, for his glory. Look what God will do to the jar just to receive glory. He says, we are what? Hard-pressed on how many sides? Every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. He says we're persecuted, not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Listen, do you know what God will do to the jar of clay just to receive glory? He will press it on every side. He will cause despair, right? He will do all kinds of things to it. Why? Because the light of the glory of God is in you and it's designed to be a light to people who don't know him. You see, reflecting the glory of God isn't about coming to church and having a great worship set. Reflecting the glory of God is making sure that in everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. And the 
listen, the complication is that's coming at your expense and mine. And it's not asking permission. God did not seek permission from Mary and Martha, two people that Jesus loved. Hey, I really need to, I really need to prove a point here. So I'd really like to make Lazarus sick and let him die and then wait for him to be dead four days and then raise him from the tomb. Are you girls okay with that? That didn't happen, did it? And yet that's the gospel we want people to believe that God has for all of us in church today. We believe, right? We're so adamant that God is for us that we've convinced people that God is not just for us. He's going to run his narrative by us and get our permission. That is not going to happen. So that is the complication. Here's the last thing I want to say. The challenge of God's glory. So the complication is, listen, God wants glory for himself. Amen, church? And who is he created to give him glory? Right? Say me. Right? Say me. Me. Right? He chose us for that purpose. So that means... He's going to show up and he's going to hard press you. He is going to despair you. He is going to cast you down. He is going to beat you up. He is going to crack your clay pot all to receive his what? Glory. Here's the, here's the challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up. I promise Shelby. Here's the challenge of God's glory. The challenge of God's glory is it requires you, in spite of the complication, to still believe. Mary and Martha loved Jesus. And Jesus took their brother from them, allowed him to suffer in their sight. Why? Because God needed glory. And yet... In spite of that expense that Mary and Martha had to give away, they're still asked to what? They're still asked to believe. Listen to what John 11 says. John eleven fourteen says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may what? So that you may believe, but let's go to him. Right? The narrative picks up and says this. Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll live even though you die. And if you live, right, and believe in me, you will never die. Do you what? Do you believe this? Right? And then it says this. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Martha says... Right. But Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Listen to what Jesus said. Did I not tell you that if you what believed you would see what? Listen, here's the complication with God's glory for God to get it. He's coming and he's taking it at your expense and he's doing it without our permission. But the challenge of that is, in spite of that behavior, for us to benefit from God's glory for ourselves, we still have to what? We still got to believe. And so we've got, a, we've got a whole generation of people that don't want to believe in that God. How can I believe in a God who would use this thing for his glory? I don't get it. And matter of fact, I don't get it so much, I don't even want to try to believe it. I don't even want to try to accept it. And we got a generation of people that are just fleeing from the church. And yet they claim to be spiritual and claim to want spiritual things. But they don't want a gospel that requires them to believe a God who would get glory from them for himself at their expense. Because here's why. None of us like to be used for somebody else's purpose, do you? 
Anybody else ever been you, anybody else in here online ever been used as the butt of somebody else's joke? Been made fun of, right? And somebody's made fun of you at your expense for their own laugh and for their look to other people. Anybody been used that way? Right? How many people have been in a relationship have been used and abused for another person's own benefit and you came out looking like a fool? Yeah, happens all the time, right? None of us like that. And yet here's the deal. If you want to see God's glory, if you want to see God in all of his good value and all of the good that God has, you have to believe even when God chooses to use you or your family or your job, whatever he chooses at your expense to his glory, you're still going to have to believe. Because if you can't believe, you'll never see God's worth. All you'll see is the pain. All you'll see is the anger. All you'll see is the resentment. Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? What have I done wrong? And all you'll care about is that. But if you truly believe, you'll get to see God's glory no matter what you're going through. Because belief is required. Listen to what Romans 5.2 says this. Romans 5.2 says, through whom we have gained access by what? By faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the what? Listen, the only way to have the glory of God benefit you, that means you get to see God in all of his glory, in all of his goodness, in all of the high opinion of him. If you want to benefit from it, you are going to have to believe. And that means believing even when God gets his glory for himself at your expense, at your family's expense, at your job's expense, at your health's expense. You see, that's a challenge. And it's a challenge that's killing our churches today. Because we're raising soft disciples. We're raising soft disciples who want a gospel that suits them. And yet we were made for God's what? We were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world for God's what? And we are to do all things for God's what? And yet we want a gospel that basically elevates me. Elevates me. I interview people all the time that want to work at this church. And every one of them talks about themselves. And every one of them wants to be, I want to, I just want to be used to my maximum potential. I just want to be used on a day to day basis. I just want God to use me, right? I want this to be about who? Me. I'm never going to hire that person, which is why we're short staffed. <laughs> And the worst, the worst group of people are pastors. They're the worst. Because they walk into it with the notion that God's got to use me. Listen, you, you ain't got to give God permission. He ain't going to use you. He's going to use you for his own glory. And he's not asking permission. He's just going to use you. Don't think for a second that working at Tomoka as a pastor is going to somehow put you in a better position to be used. Not going to happen, right? The challenge of God's glory is you got to believe in spite of the way God operates. Look at what John 5.39 says, and then I'm going to close this out. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about who? About me, Jesus says. You refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus said, I don't accept praise from men, right? But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. 
right? How does he know that? I've come in my father's name and you don't accept me, right? But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept them. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, he says, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Listen, if we're in this to receive glory from other people, you know what he says? The love of God is not in your heart. If this is about you, if this walk with Jesus is about you getting praise from other people, he says the God's, the love for God is not in your heart. It's just not there. It just doesn't exist there. I'm going to skip Colossians 1. And I want to close. Or no, I want to read those last two verses. So I'm going to read these last two verses. Paul says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to the afflictions of Jesus. For the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission of God, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the who? So it's been disclosed to us. To them, the saints, you and me, God has chosen to make known among the who? Gentiles. Those who aren't believers, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of, listen, the only hope that anybody has to ever see God in his full value is they've got to see Christ in you. If they do not see Christ in us, they will not be able to see the hope of glory. And here's the way Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You think your, your life doesn't matter? <laughs> Come on. That's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from a family member. It's a lie, it's a lie from your past that was abusive. It's a lie from being neglected or, or being treated unfairly. Listen, you're the light of the what? Come on, that ain't no small task, church. What a huge responsibility. We're the light of the world. You and I keep saying the world's growing darker. Well, where in the world is the light? We're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put that lamp on its stand and it gives life to everyone in the house. Listen to what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. You want to know how to get people to see God's full value? Put your good deeds in the name of Jesus on display. And maybe you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? You know what? Doing nothing ain't helping. Wondering what to do isn't helping. You know what it's time to do? It's time to do something. Because everything we do in the name of Jesus is a light to a dark world. And if the hope is to get people to see the hope of the glory of God... Listen, we've got to step into that role better. We were made for God's what? We were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world for God's what? And we are to do how many things for God's glory? All things. And God is in the business of transforming us from one level of glory to another. Why? Because God says, I will not give my glory to another. We had a heck of a task. This can't be about me. This can't be about you.
This has to be about God's glory. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who came to simply glorify you. You tell us that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact replica and imprint of you in this world. And Jesus came to bring you glory. And then you glorified yourself through his death, burial, and resurrection. We are recipients of that. And now, God, you've chosen us to bring you glory. Those of us who have fallen short, you've now equipped us and empowered us to bring you glory. My prayer is that we'll do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.